0: The following sermon was delivered by Pastor Frank Griffith in the Sunday morning service at Calvary Community Church in Brentwood, California. You'll find more information at calvarytruth.org. This is James chapter 5. The first six verses read like this. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your mercies which are coming upon you. By the way, these words, weep and howl, are right out of Isaiah And they have to do with our reaction when Jesus Christ returns to this earth. So it's talking about the last days when Christ comes. Verse 3, your gold and your silver have rusted and their rust will be a witness against you and will overcome your flesh like fire. It is in the last days you have stored up your treasure. Behold, the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields and which has been withheld by you cries out against you. And the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth, or the Lord of heaven's armies. You have lived luxuriously on the earth and led a life of wanton pleasure. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter, kind of like a pig standing in the trough eating as he's about to be brought into the slaughterhouse. And he says, this is what it's like for you to heap up all this wealth and not use it the way God has called you to. And then he says, you have, you have condemned and put to death the righteous man, he does not resist you. This is really quite a passage. It's kind of convicting. Now, most of us don't think it's convicting because none of us think of ourselves as being wealthy. Uh, Go to the Philippines and see if you're wealthy. Compare yourself with the rest of the world. Um, The whole point of this text is this, that everything God has given you, everything God has given you, he's given you for you to give it away. And what I mean by that. Is uh, explained very clearly in 1 Peter chapter 4 uh, when he says, uh, as each one of you has received a gift, talking about a spiritual gift, the ability to either speak or to serve in the name of Christ. He says, each one of you, as each one of you has received a gift, use it as a good steward of the manifold grace of God. He's talking about how that everything that God's given us is to be used, especially our spiritual gifts, is to be used in the building up of one another for the glory of Christ. And so all that we have received everything that has been put in our hands has been given to us by God for us to give to others. And that's what this is about. When he says weep and howl, he's talking about the reaction of the wicked on the day of the Lord when he arrives. That's Isaiah chapter 13 verse 6. It talks uses these words to describe what it's going to be like when Christ returns and we see him in his glory. And then he says to them, and he's using eschatological language, that is language that's describing the reaction of sinners on the last day. Now, what's, what he's talking about, he's talking to these believers who instead of using their wealth that they had been given by God, and I know most people who have wealth think, wait a minute, God didn't give this to me. I work for it. I slave for it. I use my good sense to get it. But from God's perspective, everything that we have has been given to us by him. He has blessed our lives, hasn't he? In fact, uh, Ephesians chapter 1 says, you can't even begin to measure all the blessings that God has given you. You've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. And so we have been blessed greatly, and we have been blessed so that we can bless others. That's that's his whole message. And so when he says, your miseries which are coming upon you, uh, this is talking about temporal sufferings not sufferings this is not talking about temporal sufferings i'm sorry it's not talking about the the uh, the wall street crashing it's not talking about you know dep- depression it's not talking about the troubles we go through here he's talking about when christ returns have we used what he's given us for his glory have we used what he's given us for his to fulfill his will and so what he's talking about is the the rich who refuse To let God use what He has given them to bless others and to meet their needs. If you remember when the church was first born in Acts chapter 2, everybody started giving everything they had away to those who were in need. Now, the reason there was such great need in the first church in Jerusalem after the day of Pentecost was they were all there from traveling long distances to celebrate Pentecost and they got saved. They came to faith in Christ. And they were baptized in the body of Christ, and they became members of the body of Christ. But they were far away from home. What would it be like for you to travel back to the Midwest, thinking you're going there for a short visit, and then you find out you're going to be there, you're going to stay there, and you can't get all your stuff from your your home. And so you're going to be in great need. And that's what happened when you read those accounts of Acts chapter 2 and 3. It's it's mind-boggling how they opened their hearts to bless others. They saw everything that they had as a gift from God that was to be used to meet the needs of one another. That's what the church was marked by. It's what they were known for. They cared for each other. What is, he, what is in this text here, why does he seem so hard on the rich? Well, the reason is because of his concern for the poor. That's a major theme of the Bible. Blessed are the poor in spirit, Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount. And it's seen in all kinds of places in the Bible. Throughout the Bible, we're told that God cares about the poor. For example, in the law of Moses, we are told how to treat the poor. They were told how to treat the poor among them. You couldn't charge interest to a poor man. Can you imagine that? What would happen to the American economy if they couldn't charge interest to the poor when they needed help? Uh, They had to show partiality for the poor and not show partiality against the poor. And he's basically telling them, you must freely open your hand to the poor, because God has put you in a place. He's given you neighbors that have needs. That's the way it is everywhere in the world. Some places in the world, the needs are far greater. But the fact is, the reason he has blessed us so richly is so that we, in the name of Christ, can give to others and meet their needs. This is what he's called us to remember when jesus said i I tell you the truth it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven why is it so hard it's hard because you can't serve two masters you can't serve money and the lord in other words what he told if you remember the rich young ruler when he came to him and he and he wanted to know how to inherit eternal life and jesus said well what is the what does the word say and he starts quoting the commandments And then Jesus said, well, you've spoken well. And he said, well, I've been doing these things since I was a kid. I've always done these things. And so Jesus said, you lack one thing. Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and come follow me. Now, what he didn't understand was he was just he had just been given the greatest offer you could ever imagine. To be with Jesus Christ, to follow Christ while he was here during those three and a half years. And all he had to do was just get rid of all of his stuff. Now, that's hard to do, isn't it? All I mean is, what I mean by that is hard to do. It's hard to get rid of all this stuff, isn't it? It just keeps crawling back somehow. And uh, I I live out on seven acres, and it's just, we've got stuff everywhere. In the barn, in the shop, we've got stuff everywhere. Because we have accumulated so much. And so what James is talking about is the fact that among these people that he's speaking to were the the rich who were mistreating the poor. And here's what he says. He basically says four things about their misuse of their money and their riches. First of all, they've used their wealth for their own selfish purposes instead of using their wealth to meet the needs of others. He explains it this way, that their wealth has no lasting value. It's rotted, it's moth-eaten, and it's rusted. Those are words that come out of the book of Isaiah, everything we possess. And I've thought about this before. Everything I have is either rusting, it's, uh, it's moth being eaten by moths, or it's being stolen. They say that the greatest value of Americans is safety. Where in the world can I put all my stuff where it's not going to rust or be stolen, or eaten by moths. Doesn't that basically describe everything you own? It's either being eaten by moths, or it's liable to be stolen, or it's rusting. That's right, isn't it? Everything we have, it's that way. I, I've, I've, since I've moved to and I've bought in several vehicles a tractor and, and things like that, and I can't get over how they look old already. And it's only been 15 years. It doesn't look new anymore. And so this is what he's saying about their wealth. You need to store up riches in heaven with your wealth. I remember coming to this conclusion in, 1960, in 1971. Um, I came to the conclusion, because I had more money in my pocket than I ever had. I, we sold our home and moved to Idaho. I had $12,000. That sounded like so much money to me then. And then I realized, what am I going to do with this stuff? What am I going to do with this money? I didn't know what to do with it. I was afraid to invest in anything because I was afraid it would go belly up. And so I didn't know what to do with it. And then I finally came to the conclusion, because I was, I was feeling desperate, and I was reading the Bible and asking God to give me wisdom, I finally came to the conclusion the only, way, the only thing I could ever invest in that would last for eternity were heavenly things. And so I started investing in a church plant down in, over in Hercules now, but they were in Pinole. And that's what I invested in. Because I knew that was the only way that you can, have, you can have a secure, you can secure your wealth is by investing in heavenly things. Investing in heaven. Investing in the spread of the gospel. Investing in people. And so this, this process of corruption had already begun. In fact the tenses of these verbs that he uses here, he's talking about it's already begun to happen. All this all this stuff that you have, it's beginning to rust, it's beginning to be stolen, it's beginning, it's beginning to be moth eaten. And every once in a while you discover that, how huh? You pull out a pair of trousers and it's got a hole in it. The moths got to it. And so what he's telling them, you need to use your riches while you can to invest in eternal benefits. In eternity, I can invest in something that's eternal, and that is the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Luke chapter 12, uh, we are told that we're stewards of our riches, not sovereigns. Do you know what that means? We don't have authority over it. We have been given it by God so that we would, as a good steward, disseminate the manifold grace of God in a way that blesses people. It's pretty radical stuff, isn't it? that God would have the audacity to tell his people, I want you to trust me so much that you'll invest your life and your possessions and the, the talents I've given you, the abilities you have. I want you to invest that in eternal things. I want you to, instead of storing this stuff away, hiding it away, trying to find a place that's secure so it doesn't rust, it isn't eaten by moths, and it's not stolen. Uh, and we worry about that so much, don't we? It's just a constant worry because we have so many resources. And so this is what he's telling them. This is a vivid picture of uh, of what, what they've done. They've waited until the last days to store up treasures instead of investing in the kingdom of God. And so he's warning them about this. And the irony of it is, he says, it's in the last days that you've stored up your treasure. It's in the last days. You know why it's the last days? This is what the Bible teaches that the last days began when Jesus came and did his work on the cross and was resurrected and ascended to the Father and poured out the Spirit. That began the last days. So we've been in the last days since the first century. And the Bible tells us you cannot know the day or the hour when Christ is going to return. But you can know that he's coming back. And therefore, I can treat the things that God has given to me, has made available to me, I can designate those to do God's work, to invest in the kingdom of God, invest in the, we have a a missionary over in the Philippines. There's a couple in our church that have invested every year in sending them study Bibles for their graduates in this, uh, in this uh, seminary in Mindanao. And uh, they are so grateful. They are just so grateful for that because their graduates get a brand new Bible. Now that doesn't sound like much here, In the U.S., that's a huge treasure to them to get a a study Bible. They get a study Bible, and they are so grateful. That's investing in the kingdom of God in a very simple way. And it secondly says they've cheated their workers of their pay in verse 4. What did he mean by that? Well, under the law, you, you hire a day worker, and he worked all day, and you had to pay him his wage before the sun went down. That was the law. You had to pay him for his labor that day before the sun went down. And so they were withholding that. My father-in-law had a business and he used to get, there was a guy that he did business with and every month he would do this. He would send him a, a, what he would do, he'd put the wrong address on all of his envelopes that had his payments in them and mail them out. And so then it took all this time for it to go to where it was mailed to, but then come back and he had to change the address And he did all that just because he could keep his money a little bit longer. See, that's, that is the love of money. And this is what, this is what uh, James is saying. Don't fall into this trap. Use what the treasures that God has given you for the advance of the kingdom of God. And there's a thousand ways to do that. There's so many ways that you can invest in the kingdom of God. And then he says in verse five that they've lived on, on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. He pictures, he pictures a pig standing in a trough eating as he's about to be taken into the slaughterhouse. Says, That's what it's like for us to use money and all of our wealth in things that are simply for our pleasure rather than for blessing others. And this idea of oppressing the righteous, it means to speak against them, to speak a word of condemnation against them, to say that they are guilty in other words, what he's talking about is those who were wealthy looked at the poor and said, that's because of their sin. That's why they're in this condition. That's why they're in this condition and they need help. It's because they haven't lived according to God's righteous rules. Well, I'm telling you, that does happen sometimes, doesn't it? We're told that in 1 Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians, he tells this little church, he says, uh you have some among you that are unruly. That is, they won't work and to provide for their own needs. They, they think that since they're living in the last days, they might as well live off of other believers who have money and not work. And then when Jesus comes back, they'll get their treasure. And he says, that's where he says, if they won't work, then don't let them eat. But you see what he's talking about there? He's talking about the other side of the issue, and that is that God has blessed you far more than you expected. I really believe that's true of all of us. If we think back over our lifetime and what we thought, where we thought we'd be at this time, we're, we are far advanced to that. We have so much more than we thought we would ever have. God has blessed us richly. And he's told us that you can trust him. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, and 10, that, those three chapters talk about this whole issue of giving, that God has promised that as we give, he will provide for us so that we can invest in the kingdom of God. What is the outcome of this? There's a passage in Amos, the book of Amos. I'm not talking about Amos and Andy on TV. I'm talking about Amos the prophet. And Amos the prophet wrote that these wealthy people want to gobble up everything everybody else has. He says, these who pant after the dust of the earth on the head of the helpless. What he's talking about? He's talking about people... The only property they have is the dust on the top of their head. They have nothing. And he says the rich lust after it as though they lust after land. In other words, they want some benefit rather than being a source of God's blessing in the lives of people. The implication for rich Christians is, we're to, as he says here in chapter 1, verse 9. I want you to turn back there. That's not a very long ways to go. James chapter 1, verse 9. Look at what he says. It says, says, um, I'm going to go back to verse 7. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man or a two-souled man, unstable in all his ways. But the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position. And the rich man is to glory in his humiliation, because like flowering grass, he will pass away. He's saying in order for a rich man to receive from the Lord, he has to humble himself. The only way I, that I can get anything from the Lord is to humble myself. And he says that the poor man, is to, is, he is to celebrate and rejoice in the fact that he has been lifted up. God has lifted him up. But the rich man can glory in the fact that, he is, that God in his grace caused him to humble himself before the, under the mighty hand of God, and he blessed him richly for it. The, the implication for the rich Christians is glory in your humiliation. Did, when was it that God brought you to bow the knee and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and to submit to the, the power and the glory of God? When did he do that? And what circumstances did it take to get you to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God? That's what we celebrate. And we're to remember that we are a steward and not a sovereign of our riches. Uh, God owns it. He owns everything. He owns us. And he's blessed us richly. He, is, uh, he has... He has a heart towards us that he gives to us because of who we are to him. He gives us blessings of all kinds. Uh, the implication for the oppressed Christians, these who were being taken advantage of, was relief is coming. Jesus is returning, and it's not going to be like this forever. He's, he's going to come and set you free. Um, in Second Corinthians 8, verse 9, it says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Now notice what those words say. It's talking about your poverty is talking about your humiliation. That is, you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. And that they might become rich is talking about the uh, that we might become rich is that we might receive the blessings, the spiritual blessings that come through the work of Jesus Christ in taking our place and purchasing our salvation. And so he says, as he said to the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10, verse 21. Listen to this account. It says, uh, Jesus looking at the man felt genuine love for him. Now he's talking to this man that we refer to, That was it's in the King James only, but that he was the rich young ruler. He was a man who had great wealth. And so he tells Jesus that he's obeyed all these commandments his whole life, and so Jesus says to him, there's one thing you haven't done. Now what he means by this is that, This is the proof that your heart has not yet humbled itself before Almighty God. And he says, this is what you need to show that that's happened. This is the only way we would know that this has happened in your life. There's still one thing that you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and then come and follow me. I want to tell you, I'd give everything I have in all the world if I could follow Jesus especially in this context. Here he was personally present in a physical body, and he's telling him, you can come and follow me. You can become a part of my band and become a part of this community that's, that surrounds me. Come and follow me. He had no idea what a glorious offer that was. Um, you know how it is on, the, uh, on your computer. You get emails, and they're always offering you incredible things. And then you discover, well, what they're offering me is an opportunity to buy something. That's what they're offering me. I got one the other day, and it was a company that I deal with, buy books from, and um, it said, your order is almost on its way. We just need you to confirm your purchase. And what it was about was something I never even looked at. It was just a new way of advertising. They're advertising and inducing you to purchase something you haven't even looked at, you know nothing about. Well, that's the way this world is, isn't it? It's always looking for unique ways to somehow make a profit off of you. What God says, I want you to learn how to give away what I give you. Because you know what it takes for that to happen? It takes you to have trust that God is the one who's met your needs and the one who's going to meet your needs tomorrow. Now, this doesn't mean riding down the street and throwing money out the window. It means that when God brings someone into your life who has a need and you know that you can meet that need and bless his life, that you're willing to give. You're willing to use God's money any way he wants. I finally found out that basically all the money I have belongs to God because he's the one who's made it possible for me to eat, to live in a house, to have a family, uh, we've raised three kids, and they're almost gone. I mean, they're gone, except they come over all the time. Uh, but God allowed that. God empowered us to do that. And uh, he, has been, he has been super abundant in his blessings towards us. Listen to this. Jesus, and this, we, if you remember, we went through this when we went through Luke. And Jesus said in Luke twelve thirty three, Sell your possessions and give, those, give to those in need. This will store up treasure for you in heaven and the purses of heaven never get old or develop holes. Your treasure will be saved. No thief can steal it and no moth can destroy it. See, that's safety. You want a real safe place to put your money? Put it in the kingdom of God and you'll never lose it. Whatever you invest in, in the kingdom of God will last for eternity. Isn't that a wonderful offer? And this doesn't come from the Internet. This isn't something I got on the Internet. This is the Word of God. This is what he says, and he promises us. Listen to Philippians 2. It's a passage you're really familiar with. In Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11, it says, Have this attitude or mindset, way of thinking, in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, the eternal Son of God, the same nature as the Father, And said, "Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. And that word grasp means to be taken hold of and used for your own benefit. I don't have to cling to the the physical blessings of God like I could never stand to give this up. God wants me to give it away. He wants me to invest in people's lives. He says, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, In other words, he comes into the world, and he actually looks like a servant. He acts like a servant. Remember in John 13, the Last Supper, Jesus with his disciples, they're taking Passover together. And what does he do? As they're reclining at table, Jesus gets up, and he puts on the apron of a slave. That's what he was doing by putting this towel on. He was saying he was the lowliest slave in the room. Here he is with his disciples, and he's basically giving them a signal by the way he clothes himself with his towel, that he's the lowliest servant because only the lowliest servant would wash feet. So Jesus puts on the, 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 the apron of a slave and he kneels down and begins to wash the disciples' feet. And you remember what Peter said, you're never going to wash my feet. I would never let you stoop like that. And Jesus said, if you don't let me wash your feet, then you have no part in me. And you know what all of us are, every believer is? We are a recipient of the greatest blessing in all of life from the Lord Jesus Christ. He came into the world and did everything necessary by obeying the Father to the point of being hanged on a cross in order to re- reunite us with God, all those who believe on him and put their trust in him. And so he's, what Jesus did is what we should do. That's what this passage is saying. He says, being found in appearance of man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, and those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's what Jesus did. And he says, you have the privilege of doing the same thing as he blesses your life, if you say to me, well, I'm totally broke, well, then you don't have anything to give to anybody. I'm not taking an offering, by the way. That's not the point. I'm, t- I'm talking about having a change of mind so that I actually want to invest in God's kingdom by investing in his people in different ways. And, and of course, there's all kinds of ways that can be done. And many of you are experiencing that um, in supporting the missionaries in our church. Uh, if you look on the, if you have a bulletin in your hand, you look on the giving report. There, you can see that we have certain missionaries that we support every month. We have a commitment to support them every month. Then there's another group of missions giving which goes out. It's just an abundance that people give, and we support missionaries all over the world. That's our privilege. That's the privilege of being a follower of Jesus Christ. We have been abundantly, abundantly blessed. I've, I've actually tried, based on, uh, on what Ephesians 1 says, that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. I actually tried to start thinking through all the blessings that have been given to all believers. And I find it almost impossible. Every time I think I've got all of them written down, I discover another one. Because it's an abundant thing. He's given you forgiveness of sins. He's given you reconciliation with God. He's brought you into union with God through the Holy Spirit. The Spirit lives in you. Jesus Christ is your Savior, and the Holy Spirit is your helper, and it provides for you entree into the presence of God at any moment. Isn't it amazing that you have entree into the presence of God? What do you think it would cost you to go and meet the president? Not that you would want to, but what would it cost you? It would be difficult, wouldn't it? In fact, most of us would never make it into his presence. Okay. But the God of the universe says, Anytime you have free entrance into my presence. That's what the book of Hebrews is all about. It's all about the fact that we have free entrance into his presence and then we have freedom of speech when we get there. You know how it is with people that love you and you can just be honest with them and open, you can tell the truth. You know, because you know and are aware of their love for you. Uh, well, that's how it is with God. We can speak to him and we can bear our heart. We can actually speak the truth. When we're discouraged, when we're encouraged, when things look bright, and when things look very scary. We have the presence. We have the, uh, the, the ability to enter into his presence and to speak truly to him. It's amazing what we have. And so the, the material things that he's blessed us with are really small. And I realize not everybody has material blessings an abundance, but most of us do because we're Americans, and that's how it is in this country. We've been blessed with a an amazing amount of resources. And so God says, look for ways to invest in the kingdom. There are many, many ways to invest in the kingdom. Some of you have experienced this. You've experienced... Uh, Uh, investing what you have, your life, into others. I think about the Quilises when the bears were here, (laughs) Uh, and they hosted them in their home. They spent about five nights there. You know what they found out? It was an amazing blessing to them as they gave themselves away. That's how it is to live the Christian life. We can invest in the kingdom of God. We can invest. And you know, one of the things you have to invest that's far, far more valuable than anything you possess is you can share the gospel with Him. You can share the good news. This is what God has already done. And what He's inviting you to do is to come to Him through Christ and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. I told, I was talking to a guy who was, had suffered a stroke, and he was really feeling down. And he, and he was, for some reason, started telling me he wanted to really turn over a new leaf and start living differently. And I said, Are you concerned with your relationship with God? He goes, Yeah. He says, But I'm going st- to start living differently. I said, You know what? You can never live good enough to get it to heaven. You could just never do it. And he said, I know it. Because <laughs> he thought I was putting him down. I said, The only way you could ever get to heaven is if God were to give it to you as a gift. And he says, yeah, that's really true. And I said, guess what he's done? He's offering you a gift. He says, you don't have to earn it. You just need to receive it by faith. This is why he sent his son into the world, to make it possible for you to be reconciled to him and enter into his very presence. And then he enriched your life with so much, including your spiritual gift, but also all the other things that he's blessed you with. And I'll guarantee you, if I was to say, I'd like everybody here to stand up who have experienced the blessing of giving to others and tell me, is it worth it? Is it worth the cost of buying somebody a meal or treating somebody uh, to something that they desperately need and you have the ability to give? Is it worth it? Is that sacrifice worth it? And they would say, yes, absolutely. What a blessed father we have who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. And therefore, we get to bless others. Nothing greater. I remember in 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 1971, I was up in Idaho, and I couldn't sleep one night, and I got up and went in the family room, and I sat in there and read the Bible. And uh, it came to me so clearly from the Word of God that you have the, the this glorious privilege that you... Give away anything that I've given you in order to bless the lives of people so that they can see the reality of who Christ is. And you will, get a, you will get a reward for that that's far greater than anything you could imagine investing in in this world. What kind of interest can you get in the bank right now? Zero, 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 two. Uh, that's point zero, 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 two. But there is a bank in heaven. What I mean by that, investing in the kingdom of God. And it's many, many different forms. Investing in the kingdom of God is the greatest blessing in all of life. And you will never be sorry that he blesses you the way that he has. I'm so glad that, that God has given me the ability to buy somebody a meal instead of trying to find one of you to buy me a meal. It's wonderful to be able to bless people, isn't it? And, and that 's why he's enriched us so much because he wants to be glorified. He wants us to manifest in our life who he really is. This is a glorious God that we serve. He's the God of all grace. And I love the fact that when he says the spiritual gift that you 've received," this is First Peter chapter four, verses seven through eleven, if you won't ever read it, go back in there and look it and he says um each one of you, as you've received a gift, use it as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. A steward is somebody who dispenses the goods of God to others. And so this is why he's given us a gift. It's so that we can dispense his grace, his, his manifold grace, which means variegated grace. It comes in all kinds of shapes and sizes. We dispense grace to people when we encourage them, teach them, lead them, confront them. Speak truth to them. So we have this built in. He says, And Peter says that everybody has a gift. It's either a serving gift or a speaking gift. And God's given that to you so you can give away to others what God has given you. See, he's He's making us like his son. You remember in several places it says that God's desire in sending his son was so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. What that means is he's the firstborn, the primogenitor, of all the children of God. And he wants there to be a multitude of children of God. That is those who have believed on his son have been born again so that they could glorify the Lord Jesus Christ, his own son. And so I just want to tell you today, think about what can you, what can you do in your own life? How can you give yourself away? How can you give your resources away that God has blessed you with to meet the needs of others? I uh, my my wife I told this to this before, but she got involved in this food pantry in town so she goes down there every Thursday and they distribute food to people and some really needy people and what I can't get over is what this has done to her how it's affected her she's so happy about it it's like it's I would you would think I just bought her a new car or something that's and it's so much cheaper than a new car uh. And she is totally blessed by it. And I want to tell you, God's going to bless you too as you give yourself away. That's why God's filled you up with so much. Let's pray. Our Father, we have gathered here to worship Christ, and we are so aware of how glorious he is and how glorious this gift is that you've given us in Christ Jesus, that we can't even begin to enumerate all the blessings that we have received from you And yet, Father, we pray that you wouldn't let us hoard it. Don't allow us to hoard it, Father. Motivate us to give it away to others. We just pray you would help us this week just to experiment and find out what it's like to give ourselves away just for the glory of Jesus Christ, to see people come to know him and worship him. Lord, we pray that you would multiply the number of of believers in this little town. We pray, Father, that you would save the lost You'd give them life indeed, and you would make them into givers like Jesus Christ, that they would be so blessed with the abundance of your blessings that they wouldn't want to distribute them to others. Lord, we praise you for this privileged position that we have, that we are not beggars and takers. We are those who are able to give away what you've given us, and we want to do that for your glory, Father. So please drive that home to our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen